I'm Carrick MacDonald, and this is Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. There's a wee plaque in Rutherglen Town Hall, which maybe you've seen, and it says simply, For those volunteers from the Rutherglen and Cambuslang areas who fought for the Spanish Republic, 1936-1939, heroes live forever. This year marks the 80th anniversary of the end of the Spanish Civil War, the conflict referred to in the plaque. An article in The Reformer back in 2008 gives us the background to the commemoration of these men who believed so passionately in the Spanish Republican cause that they were prepared to travel to Spain and risk their lives defending it. Most of them had never been outside Scotland in their lives. We live in a modern age of easy travel. You can go a holiday to Spain tours. Mm. But this is 1936. These guys didn't even have passports. Yeah. The idea of going to Spain was a bit like going to the planet Jupiter. That was Bill Bonner of the Scottish Socialist Party. He was one of the main people behind the idea of the commemoration of these men. Bill lives in Tory Glen and has been a socialist activist for over 40 years. I began by asking Bill to describe the background to the Spanish Civil War. The Spanish Civil War um, started in 1936. It was a, a period of a lot of political turmoil in Spain, but the shortened version of that is there was a, um, an election in 1936 and a left-of-centre kind of left progressive government came to power, um, which was branded by the opposition as communist, but it wasn't much different from, say, a Labour government uh, the 1945 Labour government, because its reforms were fairly moderate, but given a very conservative country, um, it, was, it, was, it was seen as much maybe more radical than it was. The army, who were very much tied to the old regimes, tried to stage a military coup and seize power, but the military coup failed in many areas, and so some areas came under the control of the army and others remained loyal to the government. Yeah, the newly elected government, and of course that was the basis then of, of what turned out to be a very bloody three-year civil war. I mean, I, I'm, I'm calling this a civil war and for shorthand, but there's a very questionable whether it actually was a civil war. The President of the Republic, who made a, an appeal for international aid, said it wasn't a civil war, that the country was being attacked by foreign forces, by the forces of international fascism. And there's a great deal of truth in that, um, because the core of General Franco's army were, first of all, Moroccan troops from North Africa, heavily, heavily supported by the Luftwaffe in Germany, uh, Italian troops from, from Mussolini's Italy, plus an almost unlimited supply of weapons and money that was coming from Germany. And what was the British government's position regarding the conflict? Britain's response was one of neutrality, um, but that was a contract. Basically, if, if all this aid is pouring in on one side, the neutrality bit of countries that maybe would have been prepared to support the Spanish government, particularly France and Britain, they were effectively blockading at the other end. So you had aid pouring in on one side in massive quantities and effectively a blockade in the other. So objectively speaking, Britain's was actually supporting Franco. And we know from, from historical documents behind the scenes the British ruling class and British government were, were quite st strong supporters of Franco. So how did men from the UK end up fighting in Spain at that time? What actually happened was uh, 
not not long after, um, when Germany in particular intervened in the in the civil war, uh, to try and shore up the military um, coup, um, the Spanish government made a worldwide appeal for volunteers to come, and something like fifty thousand in, in in total travelled from all over the world. Mm. Biggest single contingent were coming from places like France across the border, uh, but there was a contingent um, came from Britain, British battalion. Uh, British government tried to block this, and so it was actually anybody going to Spain had to go really quite clandestinely, and there was a whole network of moving people to Spain, basically, because they could be arrested mm. and charged with... I don't know what the, what the, 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 the law would be, but it was, it, was quite a, it was quite a process to get to Spain. Volunteers joined what became known as the International Brigades. What was their motivation for joining these paramilitary units? Well, it was at the time. I mean, as a context to this, at the time, fascism all over Europe was in the march. You saw the rise of um, Germany and Germany and the Nazis in Germany were now beginning to a quite aggressive foreign policy. You saw fascist regimes emerging all over Europe, um, sweeping across Europe. It was, it was a, almost like a dark age was falling over Europe. Um, Spain was really the next stage in that process and there was a belief by many people including not just some people on the left that, that a major war was coming mm. and at some point you had to stop the rise of international fascism and in many ways Spain became, if you like, the line in the sand for a lot of people um, that if we stopped them there we might be able to stop them further down the line so that was, that was one motivation the other thing is that everybody um, this was a left-wing government that was elected. It was a coalition, but it was a left-wing government. So obviously amongst left-wing opinion in Europe and throughout the world, there was a lot of support and sympathy for it. And an attempt to maybe um, try and shore up what was the elected government of the day. So that, that was kind of the motivation. The Republican government in Spain was viewed, as Bill said, with great hostility by many, domestically and internationally. Did that government, in fact, introduce the radical reforms, which those factions feared that they would? Well, I suppose in this, the Spanish context it might seem quite radical, although we, we might, looking back on it, think, so, for example, votes for women were, were seen as quite... Um, or, or a whole raft of measures of rights of women mm. in a very Catholic, conservative country were seen as, as very radical. But already it wasn't any different from what was happening in other countries. Um, the other big issue there was land reform because Spain in the 1930s had a system of land ownership and control that was really one stage away from feudalism. And so there was a colossal demand for radical reform of land and also political reform. Um, Spain was not a democracy. And, you know, Although it had, had ever so often elected government, it was also ruled by long periods of dictatorships as well. So you had quite often it was ruled by very reactionary forces, very closely tied in with the Catholic Church, and so there was a there was reforms along the lines of trying to um, make it a more secular society. Mm -hmm. um, saying all that, the government really never had a chance to enact any reforms mm -hmm. <laughs> because the, the attack happened within weeks, so it actually never did anything. Sure. The other thing that was happening on the ground though was that people were taking their own initiatives. So peasants were seizing land and workers were seizing factories all over. They weren't waiting for the government. Mm. They, were, they, they just thought this is a green light to redress 
um, years and years of, of deprivation. And the other bit, and as this ties into modern Spain, one of the, the parties that formed the backbone of the coalition was a, a Catalan national party called Escudera, who wanted, a, well, at that time, a more independent Catalonia. There was a, also forces in places like the Basque Country and Galicia mm-hmm. who wanted more autonomy. Um, and so, again, they rallied behind the government. In fact, in the case of Catalonia, were part of the government, um, as I say, as a way of, of, of achieving great autonomy. But saying all that, the government actually never enacted anything because it didn't last very long. <laughs> and what prompted Bill to press for the commemoration of those local men who joined the International Brigade? I suppose a number of things. I'd always been interested in the Spanish Civil War. Um, I have an uncle who was killed at the Battle of Havana um, in, in 1937. I've always had an interest in it. The Scottish Socialist Party always had connections with people um, who were then veterans of the Spanish Civil War, long dead now, but at the time mm. um, I knew a lot of the old veterans from the old International Brigade Association. Uh, I should say also that almost half the International Brigaders came from Scotland. A big chunk of them came from Glasgow. Um, so the International Brigade Association, after the war, um, were, was largely dominated in, in Glasgow. But the interesting thing was that... Um, when uh, the, the person who was the leader of uh, the Secretary of the National Brigade Association, Bill Alexander, died, and he had the archive, his, his greatest uh, fear and all, is that people would just forget about it. But something called the International Brigade Trust was set up. Um, it took over the archive, etc. And actually, in the, ten years, the last 10 years up to that point, there's been a massive expansion of interest with it, you know, um, and so we were able to contact them. They were able to get almost instantly. So, for example, we said, who, who came from Royal and Cambridge Lang? And they replied by return email. Mm. Uh, so they had every record of everybody had went, basically, in Spain and who were they and things like that. So that gave us the idea, well, let, let's try and organise something locally. I'm Carrick MacDonald, and you're listening to Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. In this programme... I'm talking to Bill Bonner about the men from Rutherland and Cambus Lang who fought in the Spanish Civil War. So we um, we approached um, South Lanarkshire Council at the time about holding the event. They, after some deliberation, agreed to the event. Um, we put an advert in the local newspaper, the Rutherland Reformer. It was just a small advert, but they ran it as an almost half-page, full-page thing, mm. pictures. That sparked quite a lot of response from local people. And the event ultimately was a great success mm-hmm. uh, in here. We, we was maybe about 100 people here. We had folk bands here. Leader of South Lanarkshire Council came down. There's a plaque. This is in Rutherland Town Hall. There's a plaque down there, mm-hmm. which was paid for by a local uh, housing association. And it turned out to be a great event. But the, the best thing about the event was the number of people who were their relatives mm-hmm of the people who had fought in Spain, the sons and daughters who all turned up and they brought memorabilia and Mm. they kept saying, this is a great event, but we wish we had had this event 10 years ago or 20 years ago when so-and-so was still alive. So they all turned up and uh, brought phenomenal memorabilia that had been passed on, that just was in family collections and things like that. And were there any personal recollections by the volunteers passed down to their families? 
Well, the biggest recollection, and it's it's something it chimed in with any discussions I had with any old international brigaders. At the end of the day, the Spanish Civil War was lost, and uh, Franco ruled Spain for the next 40 years. You would think that, given the degree of idealism that motivated the goal, that people would become cynical or disheartened. But in fact, almost without exception, these people who came back, the ones that survived the Spanish Civil War, um, were proud of what they did and kept political... They remained political activists all their lives. It didn't, it didn't in any way disillusion them. And that tied in very much with the, the memories of some of the people who were... Because we were just chatting with them and they were talking to the papers and they said, oh, my, my, gra- my grandfather, and he was always proud he went and... He talked about it a great deal, and um, he, and the biggest fear was the memory would, would just fade once once that generation died out. Uh, the, the last veteran, I think, died about five years ago. Um, but you know, and they said they would have they would have loved to have been at an event like this. And the criticism was, why didn't we hold it ten years ago? That or ten years before that type of thing. And that, that's a fair criticism, yeah. actually. We live in a modern age of easy travel. You can go a holiday to Spain two hours mm. through his. But this is 1936, and these guys didn't even have passports. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to Bill Alexander, and I'm not talking about he was speaking at a meeting, he was the leader of the International Brigades. And he, and he tells this story to illustrate a point. He said, This is how we got to Spain. He said, Myself and someone else, we met at Glasgow Central Station at 10 o'clock to get the overnight train to London. And then we were met on the other side and taken to a safe house. And then we were taken to the south coast of England and to another safe house. And then we were on a boat and we travelled to northern, were picked up in France and then escorted over the border to a camp. He said, do you know the most exciting part of this journey? Central Station at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. <laughs> he said, because I'd never mind being out of... I'd never been out of Scotland, mm. barely been out of Glasgow. And that was the actual experience. These people had one of travelled people. Sure. The idea of a holiday then was a day out in Helensburgh. Mm. They didn't have passports. Yeah. The idea of going to Spain was a bit like going to the planet Jupiter. Yeah. They yeah. probably knew where it was on a map. Yeah. And they said that that's the bit that people don't quite realise. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I jumped on a plane to Spain. This was a, a 1930s. These were all working, young working class mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And as they built it, they'd never been out of Scotland. Before, in fact, hardly any of us had. I asked Bill to tell us what type of people were these volunteers. Well, there, there was a, in, in total, it was about 1,500 uh, went to Spain. The number of people who volunteered to go was much, much higher than that, but quite often they were, they were not back. People who had, like, f- wives and families and children, but by and large, were told not to go. Mm. So it was always young, single men. And they were, um, a lot of them were unemployed, because this is the 1930s, so a lot of them were former workers um, who were idle. Um, a lot of people were miners or ex-miners, uh, dockers or ex-dockers, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, young men. I mean, the average age was in the early 20s. And did they have any military experience? Um, they know because of the age-wise. Um, um, too, too young for their first world war. It, that's exactly it. Yeah, um, yeah. If, that had, if it had been a decade earlier, there would have been ex-members of the British Army yeah. who would have, have, who have joined, who probably had military training. This is the, the, the mid-30s. Sure. I think of the number of people who died from Scotland, um, 
I think there was about 70 or 80 mm-hmm. di- died. Um, I'm just trying to remember, there was a banner in the People's Palace that listed them all. Um, I'm sure there was about 70 or 80 died. A lot of them died in one battle, in Battle of Harama. The Spanish Civil War ended in defeat for the Republican government. Bill describes the legacy of the conflict. Well, modern political Spain in many ways is reflecting some of the conflicts at that time. Um, the, if you look at the, the recent referendum, in, banned referendum in Catalonia and the action of the Guardia Civil, the, the civil guard, who were paramilitary police, mm-hmm. they were the paramilitary police under Franco. Mm-hmm. And their attitude to, or the government's attitude to places like Basque Country and Catalonia is, is no different from Franco. These places belong to Spain. And if you're a Catalan and you don't like it, you know where you can go. This is our country, not your country. Yeah. Um, so there's that attitude. I suppose the other thing was that um, after Franco's death, um, and Spain made the transition to civilian government, um, the, I suppose there was a... And this happens sometimes, country. There was almost as if the civil war was kind of written out of history a little bit, because um, in Spain it's estimated at least a million people were killed, mm-hmm. uh, and it affected just about every family. So there is a bit after the war where it wasn't talked about very much, and and maybe it's to do that, that generation was still there. Since then, there's been a lot more discussion mm-hmm. uh, about roles and about what was happening. Um, there are virtually no statues to Franco anywhere in Spain, and and the the few the, the few monuments to Franco that still exist, um, you know, there's all campaigns to remove them and things like that. It's a separate argument about whether you remove statues and things like that. And what about the returning members of the International Brigade? What kind of reception did they get? Well, in Glasgow, when they arrived back in. Um, well, first of all, when a decision was taken to to pull them out of Spain um, in 1938, was a, a, there was part of an agreement. The Soviet Union at the time was trying to negotiate a settlement, um, but by this time, the, the Franco's forces controlled the whole of Spain, other than Madrid, and was threatening to destroy Madrid. And so they were trying to broker a deal to form a national government. Was never going to work. Part of the deal was to uh, almost airlift all the international brigaders out. I remember in total, over the period, 50,000 international brigaders. So they had a massive demonstration through Madrid. Uh, it's estimated a million people lined the streets, even when the country's capital was under siege. Mm. Um, when they go back to, to, most of them going back to Glasgow, um, there was mass demonstrations and support when they were coming off trains and things like that. Mm. Despite the fact that they were there illegal, the authorities obviously decided not to do anything about it. Um, so there's, you know, there's, I've seen archive pictures of pictures from thousands of people lying in the streets to welcome them back and with banners and things like that. The plaque in Rutherglen Town Hall doesn't show the names of the local men who went to fight in the Spanish Civil War. I asked Bill why that was. To be honest, it, it, this will sound quite strange. It was down to money. Was it? I um, we had we had a three hundred pound budget from mm-hmm. from the housing association, <laughs> and the plaque cost three hundred pounds. Sure. Um, there's also the question of you didn't have to contact. The, we, we got the plaque at the last minute. You had to contact mm-hmm. the families, and mm-hmm. although I'm sure that wouldn't have been a problem, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we just wanted a, a simple plaque, sure. and it says down there, you know, heroes live forever, right. and that, that's the legacy of the Spanish Civil War. I suppose so. The 2008 reformer article 
names those men who joined the International Brigade, and I'll end the programme by naming them again. They were John Hall, Robert McCallum, Chris Smith, James Sullivan, Hugh O'Hanlon, James Kearns, Hugh Eaglesham, Henry Strachan, John Travers and Edward Biggins. I'm Carrick MacDonald and you've been listening to Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. Many thanks to Bill Bonner who's been talking to me about the men from Hulligan and Cambus Lang who fought in the Spanish Civil War. Thanks also to Zen Boyd of Rutherland Heritage Centre for her help and support. The music was by Hugo Nifty. I hope you enjoyed this programme and that you can join me again next time. Until then, thanks for listening. How do you look after your teeth and gums? Brush your teeth um, every, every time you wake up and at bedtime. Make sure you get like everywhere under your mouth, even the back of your teeth. If you kind of don't, then you'll have them fall out. If you don't look after your teeth, you'll get black and brown. To help keep your teeth and gums healthy, visit the dentist regularly. To register with a dentist, simply telephone or visit a practice in your area and ask if you can register with them. You can find a dentist near you using the NHS Inform service directory. You are listening to Press Pause on Cam Glen Radio. This is a programme that focuses on nature sounds to promote relaxation and mindfulness. For the next half an hour, you will hear the sounds of the River Teeth and Calendar. <laughs>